0: Hello, I'm Alec and this is Scandal 101. This episode is coming out the same day as Adele's new song comes out. I cannot tell you how, how much, like, I am looking forward to that song so much. This is not Adele. I'm not Adele, surprisingly. You may be surprised to learn that. Thank you for tuning in. This episode is going to be pretty heavy. Yeah, this is going to be a heavy episode, and I'm going to talk about why I chose it at the end of the episode, and then I'm also going to do a hometown scandal, or personal scandal, I don't remember what I was calling them, it's been a long week, but I'm going to do that at the end. Just know going in this is going to be a heavy one, it's definitely important, it's interesting, it's good to talk about. There are, um, I guess, trigger warning. there will be some language throughout, um, and then topics relating to suicide and sexual assault slash rape. From the title, you know this is the Daisy Coleman story. There is a documentary on Netflix about it called Audrey and Daisy. It is really good. I would highly recommend it. For this episode, I didn't really pull a lot of information from the documentary. I pulled information from different articles, which I will cite throughout. At the end, I'm going to list the website where you can see the show notes with the citations, but the documentary is really good as well. Without further ado, let's dive in to this case. I want to first talk about who Daisy was before all of this happened. This is pulling um, from her Wikipedia page. So she was born on March 30th, 1997 in Albany, Missouri. She was born to parents Melinda and Michael Coleman, Melinda was a vet, and her dad, Michael, was a physician, and Daisy was one of four kids, she had three brothers, so one of four, one girl, three boys. Unfortunately, Daisy lost her father in a car accident in the year 2009, Daisy with one of her brothers and then the father were traveling to watch another one of the brothers in a wrestling competition. When the car hit black ice, it went into a ravine and it resulted in Michael, who was Daisy's father, passing away. After Daisy's father's death, her mother moved the family to Maryville, Missouri. The next bit of information, it's mainly coming from two NPR articles. One is by Peggy Lowe, and it is titled Sexual Assault in Maryville, a Timeline, and then another article that she co-authored with Monica Sandresky. If it's the first article, I'm gonna say from Peggy's article, and if it's the second article, I'm gonna say from Peggy and Monica's article, just going forward. From Peggy's article, the events that this whole thing is surrounding started around 1 a.m. on January 8th of 2012. Daisy, who was 14 at the time, sneaks out of her house with a 13-year-old friend after texting with Matthew Barnett, uh, who was 17 at the time. Daisy did an interview with Seventeen Magazine for the December 2013 issue talking about the events of that night. From that article, it was reported that Matthew offered to pick them up, and so he did, and they went back to his house. Going back to Peggy's article, it was reported that once they got to Matthew's house, they snuck in through a basement window. Daisy was handed something called a bitch cup, and that is what she was going to drink out of. From that Seventeen Magazine article, Daisy said, quote, He handed me a tall glass of clear liquid and told me that it was the bitch cup, meaning I was a wimp if I couldn't drink it. I grew up with three brothers, so I'm always ready for a challenge. I tried to drink it all so I could impress him. That's the last thing I remember. End quote. From Peggy's article, around 2am that night, Daisy and her friend are returned back to Daisy's house. There are different reports saying where Daisy was dropped off. There are some reports saying that she was set on the front porch of Daisy's house. There are some reports saying that she was put in the front yard, but in that Seventeen Magazine article, Daisy recounts from her recollection and from her from her mom telling her she was found on the, found on the front yard, so I'm gonna go with that version. Regardless of whether she was on the front yard or on the front porch, she was left outside unconscious. And remember, this is taking place in January in the Midwest. Part of the reason why I chose this case is I went to college in Maryville, Missouri, so there is that connection that I have with the town. This happened before I went to college there and didn't really have any ties with the college since it, it was with high school kids. Not that that makes it irrelevant, but that is at least part of my personal, personal connection with this episode is I know a lot about Maryville and I know a lot about the culture of the town, and that's gonna play in a little bit later. Like I was saying, this is January in the Midwest. The temperatures at the time that night were, depending on the source you read, between 22 and 30 degrees Fahrenheit, which to me is surprising because when I think of the past four winters that I spent in Maryville, Missouri, it was usually around zero degrees. It was fortunate that it was twenty-two to thirty to thirty degrees. Obviously, that is very cold. It's a very dangerous temperature to be outside for that long. But it's it's fortunate that it wasn't colder. Regardless of how cold it was, you're leaving someone outside overnight in the winter in the Midwest. Okay. So now, just I said at the beginning, but this is gonna where this is where talks about sexual assault and rape are going to start, just so you know. She was discovered that next morning by her mom, and after her mom discovered her, she ran a bath and tried to warm uh, Daisy up. Peggy's article reported that Daisy was wearing only sweatpants and a t-shirt. Her hair was wet and frozen. She wasn't wearing shoes, and her shoes, along with her purse and her cell phone, were found somewhere else in the yard later when a Nottaway County Sheriff's investigator came to the scene. From the Seventeen article, when Daisy's mom helped get Daisy undressed for a bath, quote, She saw that I was red and swollen around my vagina. She immediately took me to the hospital where doctors confirmed our worst fears. The night before, I had been raped. I immediately started crying when I heard that. I had lost my virginity in the worst way imaginable, and I had no recollection of it at all. End quote. Let's talk about who Matthew Barnett is and get some more details on what happened that night. Matthew was 17 at the time that this all took place. From Dugan Arnett's, article in the Kansas City Star, Matthew played defensive end for Maryville High School's football team, and he came from a pretty prominent family, specifically with his grandfather having been, whoa, that doesn't mean sorry, his grandfather having been a longtime member of the Missouri House of Representatives. The article describes him as, quote, tall and handsome, Barnett had a scraggly beard and a reputation as a guy who liked to have a good time, the latter bolstered by an arrest for drunken driving, end quote. Okay, so that's just a little bit of background on who Matthew is. Other details will be filled in later, such as like an update as to what Matthew is doing now, but that, at least for now, that's all that we really need to know about him. From Peggy and Monica's article, the gaps in Daisy's recollection of the night, because remember Daisy said that the last thing she remembers was drinking out of the bitch cup. The gaps in the memory are found in Nottaway County Sheriff's reports. Apparently, as Daisy was drinking, her friend and one of the other boys who were at this party or get-together, whatever you want to call it, they went into another room. And I don't remember if I had mentioned this earlier, but at the time, at this get-together, party, whatever you want to call it, there were, I believe, four or five boys who were there, and then it was Daisy and her friend Paige. So later on, after this night, Paige would say that she had been raped by a different boy that same night. It's, It's just horrible. Uh, yeah, okay. From that Kansas City Star article, Paige went into another room with one of the boys. Sheriff records indicate that, quote, he said that although the girl said no multiple times, he undressed her, put a condom on, and had sex with her, end quote. And so, again, this is this is Paige and some other, some one of the other boys. When the two went back into the main area, so Paige and that other boy, Matthew had emerged from another room that he and Daisy were in. Paige said that, quote, Daisy was unable to speak coherently and had to be carried from the bedroom." End quote. Okay, so this all took place on like a Saturday night going into Sunday morning. So that Sunday morning, 9, 10 a.m., around that time Sunday morning, all of the boys who were in the house were rounded up and they were taken to the Nottoway County Sheriff's Office for questioning. Matthew Barnett was arrested and charged with the following sexual assault, which is a felony, and endangering the welfare of a child, which is a misdemeanor. He did say that yes, the two did have sex, so talking about Matthew and Daisy, and he was aware that she had been drinking, but he said that the sex, the sex was consensual and she was at most buzzed but not drunk. When the blood work was done on Daisy around 9 a.m. that morning, so again, she went over around 1 a.m., and that's when the drinking from the bitch cup happened, and when her blood work is done around 9 a.m., so eight hours later, her blood alcohol content was 0.13. Just as a reminder, the legal limit to be considered intoxicated is 0.08. There was apparently a video of Matthew and Daisy's encounter that was taken on an iPhone, which led to one of the boys whose name I believe was Zek. He received a felony charge for sexual exploitation of a minor. There was a debate as to what actually, what was actually on the video. The article was saying that they were just like quote, dry humping, and there were other accounts that there was more on the video that When the video was taken, their clothing was off, but regardless of what was on the video, it was apparently deleted shortly after it was taken, and from everything I could find, there wasn't recovery of the video. Police searched the house that this all took in and found and took the following. They took a blanket, bed sheets, a pair of panties, a bottle of Bacardi Big Apple, and bottles of unidentified liquid. The sheriff at the time for Nottaway County, his name was Darren White, and he said that he felt, quote, confident the office had put together a case that would absolutely result in prosecutions, end quote. And at first, it seemed like things were going to go that way, there was a lot of sympathy for Daisy, people were concerned, there was a lot of, it seemed like there was just a lot of genuine concern for Daisy. Unfortunately, it didn't take long for things to switch. Two days after Daisy was found outside, Daisy's mother got a call warning her that there were threats being made to all of the Coleman children, but many of them were aimed at Daisy. One of the brothers of one of the boys who were there that night in the house tweeted that he hoped Daisy, quote, gets what's coming, end quote. So Daisy's brother, Charlie, at his senior night with the wrestling team, he was booed by some of the students. People were calling Daisy and her mom crazy bitches. They were also saying that there was no blame for Matthew and that Daisy had, quote, asked for it, end quote. Two weeks after the event, Daisy's mother was terminated from her job at the vet's clinic that she was working at in Maryville. She went in about a week or so after she was let go and recorded a conversation with her boss asking her, why was I fired? Her boss said that the possibility that she might pursue civil charges, which at the time had not been commenced, no charges had been pressed against Matthew at this time, so the possibility that she would pursue civil charges was quote, putting stress on everybody in here and there's going to be times when we probably have stuff booked and you wouldn't be able to come in, end quote. Her boss later admitted to the Kansas City Star that she had ties to the family of one of the teens that was in the home that night. Quote, This is a small community, and it definitely was stressful here for us, without a doubt, end quote, is what she said to the Kansas City Star. She also said to the Kansas City Star that their style of medicine was different, Um, Daisy's mother and her boss, but my response to that is, if that was truly the case, why was that not brought up when Daisy's mother was asking about why I was fired? The only thing that was said to Daisy's mother when she asked was that the thought of, per- of her pursuing civil charges was going to be stressful for people in the office. And this was before civil charges had even been pursued. So you're gonna fire someone on the possibility that they might do something and the possibility that it may stress someone out. There were rumors that political strings were being pulled to get the charges dropped because remember, even though Daisy's mother hadn't pursued civil charges at this point, Matthew was charged with sexual assault and endangering the welfare of a child. So there were rumors that political strings were being pulled to get those charges dropped but Daisy's mother didn't really give it a whole lot of thought. And then later, these rumors were addressed and denied. If you'll remember, Matthew's grandfather was a longtime member of the House of Representatives in Missouri, so the State House. And another article I read, it said that his grandfather had worked with the sheriff, Darren White, on a committee at some point. So there were some rumors that there were a lot of political strings attached those things were denied by many people by his grandfather by the sheriff i don't know if there's really a way to disprove it but there there has been no indication that that was the case but it does make you wonder how that how those small town connections can can make things happen, especially when you're a a decently politically connected person or family. Again, these are just rumors. Nothing has been confirmed. People who, I guess, were accused of it have denied it, but it does kind of make you wonder. There were those rumors, Daisy's mother didn't really give it a lot of thought, however, less than a week later, Daisy's mother got a call that was informing her that the sexual assault charge against Matthew as well as Zek's sexual exploitation count were being dismissed. I can't even imagine how crushing that would have felt as a parent to get a call saying that the sexual assault charge of the person raping your daughter was being dismissed. The doctor said that she was raped. I think the widely used definition of rape is non-consensual sex. And with consent, it's important to remember that unless you have a firm yes of someone who is of a sound mind to say yes, silence or I don't know or no, that is not consent. Also, if someone is drunk, they cannot give consent. I just can't imagine what it must have been like for Daisy's mother to get that call saying that that sexual assault charge was being dropped. And after these charges were dropped, the harassment toward the Coleman family only increased. One tweet said, "Quote, fuck yeah, that's what you get for being a skank." End quote. Talking about Daisy, who is 14 at the time. Please remember this: we are talking about a 14-year-old girl who is a child. I think 14-year-old is ninth grade, maybe eighth or ninth grade, probably. Yeah, so a 14-year-old person. Eventually, the harassment was becoming too much for the for the Coleman family, so Daisy and her brother transferred out of Maryville High School to Albany High School, which was an 80-mile round-trip daily. Daisy's mother didn't want to leave Maryville for a couple of reasons, and one of them was that she didn't want the— she didn't want to let the people who were harassing her family essentially win. Eventually, the family did move back to Albany, the family was originally from Albany, and then after her father passed away, like I said in the beginning, the family moved to Maryville, and then after this harassment, they they moved back to Albany. Sheriff Darren White said, after they had moved back, he said, quote, they went back to Gentry County, where they came from, end quote. So it's, <sighs> to me, it's concerning when you have an elected official who is the sheriff saying, hmm looks like they went back to where they came from and i'm going to talk about <laughs> i'm going to talk about my thoughts on that at the end even though the family had moved away from maryville there was still the process of selling the maryville house it went up for sale and one night the house burned to the ground while no one was living there the cause of the fire was never determined and it still remains unknown it's pretty suspicious that the house of this family who was being harassed, burned to the ground with seemingly no cause. It was heavily investigated, but from everything I've been able to find, there has been no solid answer to what caused the fire. To me, the fact that they can't say it was a simple wire manufacturing, manufacturer, what, what? A simple wire malfunction, there we go, or, you know, something like that, to me that speaks volumes. Okay, so the sexual assault charge was dropped against Matthew Barnett, but what was left was the misdemeanor charge of endangering the welfare of a child, and that had to do with the fact that Daisy was left in the freezing temperature in January. Obviously, you're you're endangering a child if you do that. And then that also just reinforces the fact that Daisy is a child. She's 14 years old. 14-year-olds can definitely be smart. They can, um... They can do a lot of things, but don't forget that this person we're talking about is a 14-year-old child. So all of this, the harassment, the sexual assault, the bullying from the town, this is being focused toward a family, but more specifically toward a 14-year-old girl. From the sources I used, there was a lot of inconsistency from what happened with this misdemeanor charge, but the most common thing I found was that he pled guilty to the charge and he had to serve two years probation and a four month suspended prison sentence. It seems like he pled guilty to it. I did read in a couple places that the charge of misdemeanor was dropped, but in other places I read that he pled guilty to it. So I don't really know the exact timeline of that charge, but if we're going off the assumption that it was not dropped and he did have to do his time. It was two years of probation with a four-month um, suspended prison sentence. Alrighty, so that is what happened with Matthew in terms of punishment for the events that took place that night in January, so a little bit about where Matthew is at now. Um, according to Namrata Tripathi's article for MEAWW, after completing his probation period, he went to the University of Central Missouri. The school received a lot of criticism for allowing an alleged rapist to enroll there, and it se- from what I could find, it seemed like he dropped out Um, during his freshman year or sometime around there, and Matthew's mother said that he was having severe mental health issues during college. Ruth Stiles reported for the Daily Mail that as of late 2020, Matthew was living in Kansas City where he works as a project manager for an industrial roofing firm. That's kind of the update on Matthew. It seems like he is living a low-key life. The article that I mentioned talked about specifically where he worked as of the time of the publishing. It has an updated fi- picture of him, which I'll probably post. I'm, I'm not trying to put his workplace on blast or anything, but if you want to read the article, it's in the show notes. The, la- the way I want to wrap this up is I want to focus on Daisy and her mom and what happened after all of this. After the events of that night, Daisy struggled for quite a while. From that Seventeen Magazine article, she said, quote, I ended up in the hospital for cutting and burning myself and for attempting suicide, end quote. Daisy said that she barely had the energy to get out of bed, but then all of a sudden a switch flipped and she realized that she did not deserve the abuse that she was receiving. From Chakor Koop's article in the Kansas City Star, DAISY helped create the organization called SAFE Bay, and then Bay is B-A-E, and that stands for Before Anyone Else, and that organization is focused on ending sexual assault at schools. This organization came to be after the documentary came out, the one I mentioned at the beginning called Audrey and DAISY, which Netflix bought, so it's streaming on Netflix, you can watch it whenever you want. It's really good, I would highly recommend it. In 2018, so I believe this documentary came out around 2016, so in 2018, Tristan Coleman, who was the youngest of Daisy's three brothers, and Melinda, who was Daisy's mother, they were driving and they were involved in a one-vehicle crash, and it seems like, from what I could find, it sounded like Tristan was driving, and unfortunately, Tristan ended up passing away from the car crash, and Melinda, uh, Daisy's mother, did survive the crash. On August 4th, 2020, Melinda Coleman, who is, again, Daisy's mother, posted on Facebook that Daisy was found dead after she had asked the police to check up on Daisy's well-being. Daisy died by suicide. Melinda posted on Facebook, quote, She was my best friend and amazing daughter. I wish I could have taken the pain for her. She never recovered from what those boys did to her and it's just not fair. My baby girl is gone, end quote. A NBC article by Doha Medini says, or reports, that on December 6th, 2020, just about four months after Daisy died by suicide, Melinda Coleman died by suicide as well. So Daisy's mother also died by suicide. Safe Bay, the organization that Daisy started, posted a statement on their Instagram page that in part said, quote, The bottomless grief of losing her husband... Tristan and Daisy was much more than she could face most days. End quote. And on that somber note, that concludes the Daisy Coleman story. First, I want to say that this is by no means a comprehensive report on the scandal. Um, or the events that took place, there is a lot of information that gets into more specifics of what happened. You can go down rabbit holes of the political connection rumors. You can talk more about, or you can look into and find so many rabbit holes to go down. I wanted to do a an overview that did have some depth, but. This is. I, I'm not claiming this to be a comprehensive report on it, but this is. I think it's a good overview of what happened. It sheds it sheds some light on on the events that took place. I kind of mentioned throughout why I chose this episode. The first reason was I did go to college in Maryville, Missouri. This took place before I was in college. Um, I didn't. I had never heard of Maryville, Missouri before I went to college there. I had not heard of this case before moving to college. Um, to go there and I never really did a lot of research about what had happened I kind of knew the general overview so one of the reasons why I chose it is the personal connection and one I just wanted to learn more about what had happened another reason why I chose it is because I after living there for four years I wanted to see what my thoughts were about how the small town environment may have impacted this investigation, the charges being dropped. I think it's interesting that Darren White, the sheriff at the time, after the family had moved back to to Albany, said, quote, like they came back or they went back to where they came from, end quote. It definitely gives the impression that these are outsiders and we are going to protect our own, that possibly being Matthew because he was from the town, he had those, or his family had those connections, whether or not those connections played into it, you're talking about potentially quote-unquote ruining someone's life who lives in town, who's part of this Maryville community for the actions that happened to an outsider. I, as someone who is openly gay, I don't know if I've said that on the podcast, not that it really matters, but as someone who's openly gay, I definitely experienced a lot of aggression in, or not, I don't don't wanna say a lot, but a lot of microaggressions for sure, weird looks. Um, I got called homophobic slurs a couple of times when I was in Maryville. Part of it was you're in small rural Missouri. I think there's like, the population is 12,000. So it's not like a tiny, tiny town with 50 people by any means. There's a Walmart there, there's Hy-Vee. So like there are things that are there. There's fast food restaurants, but it's definitely a small rural town. It's a college town, but it's also rural. Not everyone in the town is one who's going to say homophobic slurs or anything by that, but that was the first time in my life where I really experienced people being openly hateful toward people. And I know um, of similar stories I heard from people of color who experienced similar hatred that was portrayed openly by people from the town and even people at the college. It's just interesting to experience that and I always found myself asking how can people think this is okay? And I know that there's a lot of things that play into that but when when you look at this case you're looking at an insider, someone who's from the town, someone who is on the very successful high school football team. From a couple of articles, it sounds like it like it wasn't like he was the star quarterback or anything. I think in one interview said, it. I think he was like maybe a backup player or something. So I don't even know if he was on the starting lineup or whatever the technical term is. But you have this popular-ish, good-looking football player. And then you have this out-of-town girl whose family moved in and is causing all of this trouble. How much did that play into it? I, I think it maybe played a decent amount into it. People don't want to confront beliefs that go against their own. People don't want to confront situations that go against what they know. And if what you know is loyalty to the people in your community, you're not going to want to face anything that might cause you to go against that belief. Okay, those are my closing thoughts, and that wraps up the Daisy Coleman story. Again, I'm not proclaiming this to be a all-encompassing, comprehensive podcast episode about it. Please read the articles I cited. Read different articles. There are so many out there. Watch the documentary. There's a lot to learn about it. And also look into the organization Safe Bay. And that is Safe S-A-F-E-B-A-E. In no way am I sponsored by them or anything, but it's a good organization, they have a good mission. And if you are if you listen to this episode and you are angered, upset, you feel like injustice was done, use that passion and put it towards something positive. And Safe Bay is. Something that Daisy thought was positive to come out of the situation. She wanted to make sure that there were resources to prevent this from happening again. Alrighty, with those thoughts wrapped up, I am going to move to the personal scandal section. If you Um, If you have a scandal you want to send in, please send it to scandal101podcast at gmail.com or you can like send it over a DM over the social media, which I will put at the end. I think I'm going to do two because one of them is a little shorter, which is fine. Love short ones, but I want to do two and it's my podcast. So, (laughs) okay, so here's the first one. It is from a listener named Amanda, and Amanda said that comfortable with using the first name. I have a scandal and I don't know if it'll make it to your show, so as a non-binary individual, I want what is called top surgery. This is where they remove the whole breast. I was told insurance wouldn't cover gender things like that, so I have to call it a breast reduction. Now, I'm told in a breast reduction they don't take the entire breast. Insurance sucks. The end. Yes, insurance does suck. <laughs> I've never had to deal with it in that capacity, but yeah, insurance sucks, and I, I'm I, I'm sorry that you are having to deal with that. It would be nice if insurance would recognize the importance of gender identity and gender expression because it really is a big part of who someone is, and if someone isn't comfortable in their body... I'm sick of all these motorcycles, I don't... yeah, okay. (laughs) But it would be nice if insurance recognized the value that gender identity has on a person's mental health. Alrighty, so the second one is one that I was kind of following, but my friend also sent to me. It's from a town kind of nearby where I'm originally from. It's not the town that I'm from, but whatever. What happened is a teacher was put on administrative leave shortly after the school year had started. This teacher was a seventh grade English teacher, I think I'm remembering correctly. The teacher had started the school year or started the unit with a with a PowerPoint presentation and it was like an introduction all about me and in the PowerPoint he had said that he was um, a bisexual man, which awesome, great, that's awesome for sharing, great that you're comfortable with that, and he was put on administrative leave. There was a lot of outrage with this because everyone had assumed that he was put on administrative leave for being open and honest about his sexual orientation, his his identity, there was a walkout that was staged at the school in support of the teacher, and it came out a week or two later that the teacher had done, sent, or sent out, like had passed out a class survey kind of asking like, oh what do you find is a healthy relationship? I I don't remember the exact questions, but one of the questions was talking about being sexually intimate with a partner. Remember that this was being passed around to seventh graders, so that was more of the reason why he was put on administrative leave is because parents were outraged by the fact that this teacher had sent around something talking about being sexually active um, in the seventh grade, which I I can understand a little bit about the parents' outrage, but I mean, at the same time, I think I had sex ed in sixth grade, so I mean, I already knew about what being sexually active meant. I don't know what that school district's curriculum was, but I can definitely understand why the school was a little concerned by that. How much the fact that he was openly bisexual played into that, who knows, but I can see the school board's decision as to that's inappropriate, that's not okay, and I think eventually the teacher did leave voluntarily, quote unquote, like he wasn't fired. My guess is it was probably a situation of, hey, we really want you to leave and we think it would be best for you. So I think that pretty much wraps that up. It was thought to be one thing at the beginning and it turned out that it was a completely other thing. Okay, this episode is kind of long. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, If you want to stay up with the latest, on Instagram at Scandal101Podcast, on Twitter at Scandal101Pod, on Facebook, search Scandal101Podcast, you'll find us there. Our website is Scandal101Podcast.podbean.com and that is where you can find the show notes that have... Um, all of the citations and websites that I use and mentioned. Again, if you have your own personal scandal you want read on the podcast or you have an episode suggestion, please send that to scandal101podcast at gmail.com. Okay, Um, I already know what I'm going to do for next week's episode. I know it's going to be a little more lighthearted than this episode was. This one was definitely heavy and it's hard to digest. It was really hard to do the research for. It was very emotionally heavy and yeah it's a really sad story Um, but it's it's one that needs to be told so I hope you enjoyed the episode I hope I hope you learned something and again if you feel angry if you feel mad put that drive that emotion put it toward an organization that is going to affect change for the better thank you so much for listening this has been episode 22 of Scandal 101